Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, the only podcast that spends two episodes on Yon de Bont movies before it ever gets around to Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> Spike Lee, David Fincher, Robert Zemeckis, Tim Burton, Nora Ephron, Oliver Stone, Ivan Reitman. <laughs> we deserve to have our film degrees taken away. <laughs> We haven't done Nora Ephron yet? Nope. <laughs> that, was like, <laughs> <laughs> that was the one you hung on. <laughs> Nora Ephron. <laughs> I'm Chris, your podcast host, most likely to be held hostage on every conceivable mode of transportation known to man. <laughs> I'm Seth Pearson, the host most likely to fuck with daddy. <laughs> Don't fuck with daddy. <laughs> nope. And I'm Becky. I'm the podcast host most likely to have seen this movie about a bus that had to speed around the city, keeping its speed over 50. And if its speed dropped, it would explode. I think it was called the bus that couldn't slow down. You would have a Simpsons reference in your fucking opening. I'm proud of you that you got that. Mm-hmm. On this episode of the podcast, we're doing speed. You might think that we're always doing speed on the podcast, but usually we're just drinking wine. (laughs) Speed is the 1994 action thriller starring Keanu Reeves as a maverick cop tasked with saving a busload of innocent passengers, including the winsome Sandra Bullock, from a mad bomber played by Dennis Hopper. This summer marks the 25th anniversary of Speed and the equally momentous 22nd anniversary of the sequel Speed 2. So, I bet you guys thought that there was no connection between our last episode on Nickelodeon, Nicktoons, and this week's episode on Speed. But pop quiz, hotshots! Good <laughs> God! I'm amazed it took this long. <laughs> Screenwriter Graham Yost wrote the spec script for Speed after the 1991 cancellation of what TV series he had been staffed on? Graham Yost. Wait, what was the can- when was the cancellation? 1991. 1991? Well, that's when the the show's so it's debuted. Nick- a connection, not necessarily oh, a okay. connection. Oh, uh, you can't do that on television? That was going to be my guess too. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, dude. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> my no. god, Hey Dude was already canceled by 1991. Right? I feel like wow. I was watching that show long ago. Oh, those reruns la- lasted forever. Yeah. Yeah, he went from hey dude to speed. (laughs) He was the Yoast with the most. (laughs) (laughs) So I have an opening question for you guys that is lightly related to this topic. Uh, I would like to know uh, how and when you learn to drive. (laughs) (laughs) If, If you do indeed know. Yeah, there's not really like a fun story attached to it. I was 15. I got my learner's permit. I guess my mom took me out. Uh, to the high school parking lot, and we practiced. And then I got, and then I got my like, driver's license. And then I didn't have a car until I was twenty three. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, because I remember you not. I don't remember you as a driver. I remember you as someone who would be harried if they were on a bus with a bomb. <laughs> That's how I think of you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I've taken the bus to my bartending classes uh, when I graduated college and before I got a car. And I hated every moment of it. <laughs> yeah, I drove you around for many years. You before. did. And uh, I was on the bus when I I had an iPod, but I did not have a smartphone. So at least I had my iPod. Uh, don't recommend the bus. <laughs> <laughs> well, neither does anyone at, in at, this movie. Yeah, at least not in Los Angeles. <laughs> don't recommend the bus. Yeah, there's no fun story there. <laughs> 
driving was a huge marker for me and a huge milestone in terms of my personal freedom, but also my being able to define myself. Where I grew up in New Orleans and where I spent my childhood and most of my adolescence was like across the Mississippi River from where basically all of my friends lived, from where I went to school, especially for high school onward. So I first started driving like 16, 17 year old, like when I was able to get a learner's permit. And like, I didn't get a car immediately then, but I got to like borrow my mom's car always. And my being able to drive really was kind of the ticket for me to like be able to establish my own life, to be able to determine what I wanted to do with my time, to be able to spend my time freely with friends. I would still have to like call my mom and check in, but I was also just able to not feel like I was being supervised and not feel like all my friends would have to drive from somewhere else to be able to come see me and hang out with me. Yeah, there was a lot about growing up that did make me feel kind of at a distance from a lot of my closest friends, even when when I would see them at school, just because it wasn't super easy for me to spend time with them easily outside of school. Um, so when I was able to drive, it really did give me a feeling of kind of freedom. And I, of course, was a total goody-goody, so I did not use that freedom to engage in idolatry and Satan worship. Or, or speeding. Or speeding. I speed, of course. I have plenty of speeding tickets to my name. But I, I never really set out to be a speeder, <laughs> to be a Sandra Bullock, if you will. <laughs> So I remember driver's ed. <laughs> I somehow went through driver's ed without learning that at a left turn, you have to yield. <laughs> so I got through the whole class and then I took my driving test and did not know that. <laughs> so you just went for it. Yeah. And I failed. <laughs> Other than that, I don't have like a lot of super memorable <laughs> stories. I've uh, often thought of you as unyielding. I do remember when I first got my car, one of the first times I was driving a bunch of friends, I did that. And I was like, sorry, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, I, but I never, I don't think I did that again. But I do remember <laughs> yeah, first being like, oh, dear. <laughs> failing that test is where I learned that. It was like, oh, yeah. Because I, I did notice all the oncoming cars. But for some reason, I was like, it's green. I better go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seth's story about this just kind of rem- reminded me of how I used to mostly like listen to music while driving like that it was a really good time to like listen to albums all the way through so certain CDs like the Magnolia soundtrack is one that I feel like I listened to a lot like in the car and I would just kind of go for drives um, mm-hmm. which is not something I would ever do in Los Angeles because uh, you're in the car enough I guess but um, and gas yeah. costs so much <laughs> yeah. but yeah just like being on a random freeway and kind of going uh, aimlessly 50 miles an hour or more yeah that's another aspect of it too Chris is that like when I got to drive I would drive around just kind of aimlessly with no destination in sight Um, And not necessarily, like, timed with any hangout with my friends. Like, it would also be an opportunity for escape, like, just to be alone with my own thoughts Mm -hmm. in a place that wasn't at home in my bedroom. (laughs) Yeah. And that really, that meant so much to me. I lived and grew up in the subdivision where I lived, like, until I was out of high school and moved out to L.A. And just being able to not be in the same place at the same time that I always was, like... 
itself was such an, a, a feeling of escape for me. Yeah, like the bedroom is still like a part of your home. And so even though it's like your space, like you know that like your parents can like hear what you're listening to. Not that it's usually that big of a deal, but like the car is really your own space. And yeah, I I didn't drive people around. Like other people drove me around before I had a car. But once I got a car, I was really like, I remember it as being a very independent thing more so than I remember like being out with friends and doing that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Wish I had a car when I was in high school. <laughs> Miss, can you handle this bus? Oh, sure. It's just like driving a really big Pinto. I need to know. Can you handle this I'm bus? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Just tell me what the plan is. Okay. Is there a plan? Just for you to drive. We're okay for now. Just keep us above 50. Good plan. So you're a cop, right? That's right. Well, I should probably tell you that I'm taking the bus because I have my driver's license revoked. What for? Speeding. Jan de Bont was born October 22nd, 1943, in the Netherlands. He was one of 17 children. What? Yeah. Uh, I really want to see a sitcom called The de Bont Bunch that's just like all the de Bonts. That poor woman. (laughs) In the 1970s, de Bont was hired as the director of photography on the film Lions, Lions, and More Lions. <laughs> What's the movie about? Um, it had some lions in it. Uh, Dogs. <laughs> it was starring husband and wife team Noel Marshall and Tippi Hedren and their daughter Melanie Griffith. Oh, that movie. Yeah. It was, oh, I know this movie. It was I didn't know it was called that. Retitled Roar. Yeah. Thank that's you. What that movie is yeah. called. Yeah. <laughs> lions, lions, and more. I think they had lions. it right with the first title. To be honest. Wow. Did he get almost eaten? <laughs> Yes. Marshall and Hedren wanted to make a film that would inspire people to save the wildlife, endangered by poaching. But they couldn't find enough show lions for a movie, so they decided to acquire what ended up being around 150 large cats to live with them on their ranch in Southern California. Oh my god. Shenanigans ensued. Oh, yes. Mary has some guns around here. We gotta find a gun. I think we ought to split while we can. Yeah, sure, with 8,000 lions and tigers outside. Well, if we stay here, we'll end up being eaten alive. We're not gonna get eaten. When Dad gets here, he'll show us how to handle them. Until then, we'll just board up the windows. Wait a minute, who voted you in? I did. I suppose you want to make a run for it? Right on. I'll take the motorcycle and go get help. I know bikes and I know the road we came in on. That's not going to help. That's letting you escape and leaving us here. The filmmaking process took about 11 years. Holy shit. During a flood that destroyed the ranch and delayed production for three years, 15 lions and tigers escaped from the set, <gasps> three of which were killed by police. Oh, oh yeah. Over, Save the wildlife, man. Yeah. Uh, it gets worse. <laughs> Over 70 so cast and crew worse. members were injured during the production. Mauled. Yeah. Including Tippi Hedren and Melanie Griffith, whose mauling was visible in the final cut of the film. Jan de Bont uh, was scalped by a lion on set. My God. Requiring 220 stitches. What? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> How was this movie insured? I don't think it was. I don't think it was. I think they were just filming it. Like, How did it own. have investors? I mean, like, you can't make a movie anymore without it being insured. They were filming it at their home, so I'm assuming yeah. that they like they were paying for everything. I think oh they were the God, producers. Oh my God, this is insane. Yeah. I don't think there was any studio backing it because it was not a success. It was never released in the 
U.S. until 2015. Uh, it was only released for one week in Europe and Australia. So all of that time and energy went into something that pretty much nobody all saw. All that blood drawn. Oh, I'm sorry. And Jan de Bont was mauled? Yes. Okay. <laughs> scalped. 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 Oh, he was scalped. Okay. Yes. Not just mauled, but also scalped. Well, at the same time. It- <laughs> <laughs> It was a mauling, scalping <laughs> slash it. situation. Okay. It was a double threat. <laughs> God. One of DeBont's next projects was Cujo. <laughs> 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 Which is a very, like, visceral movie. And Wait, now, did he direct it or no, he still DP? DP'd. Okay. We saw some clips from when we were doing Stephen King episode. I watched some clips and I thought it was pretty, like, intense. Yeah. Actually. I think we know why. <laughs> I think he, he was up close and personal with ravenous animals. It wasn't called yeah. Cujo, Cujo, and more Cujo. <laughs> So despite that rather rough beginning, DeBont became one of Hollywood's go-to cinematographers, teaming up with major filmmakers like John McTiernan for Die Hard and The Hunt for Red October, Ridley Scott for Black Rain, Richard Donner for Lethal Weapon 3, and Paul Verhoeven for Basic Instinct. He made his directorial debut in 1994 with Speed. The genesis for Speed began with screenwriter Graham Yost, the writer of Hey Dude. Hey Dude. Hey, bus. <laughs> the original working title. <laughs> it's a little bit wild and a little bit strange. Your bus can't go below 50 miles per hour. <laughs> Graham Yost was told about a movie about a runaway train starring John Voight and wondered, wouldn't it be better if it was a bus? (laughs) There actually is a 1975 Japanese film called Bullet Train with pretty much the same premise, which is about a speeding vehicle that will explode if it goes under X miles per hour. So it's a high concept plot that he basically just ripped off from another movie. Mm -hmm. Yost's original title for the film was Minimum Speed (laughs) until he realized that was a bad title. Terrible. Because nobody wants minimum in the title of a movie. Yeah, maximum. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimate. Speed, speed, and more speed. (laughs) (laughs) How many people were mauled by buses in this movie? (laughs) Too many to count. But many were bussed to the mall. (laughs) (laughs) Boo. Boo me. (laughs) Get out of here. No one else was booing you. (laughs) I wasn't. I didn't boo that. That was a (laughs) self-boo. The script for Speed was originally sent to John McTiernan, the director of Die Hard, who passed because it felt too similar to that movie. But he suggested his DP, Jan de Bont, and the original script took place entirely on the bus. And it ended with it crashing into the Hollywood sign, which <laughs> I feel like doesn't make that much sense because you would have to drive all the way up the hills. Like, how would you possibly go 50 miles an hour <laughs> up Hollywood? I was but- picturing the bus just flying up there. <laughs> like... <laughs> It just, like, has wings at some point. It's like a... Yeah, it's like the same car at the end of Greece when they just, like, go off into the, in the air. No? No, Greece fans? No, but honestly, like, we'll get to it, but there's a lot of flying cars in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there are. That would not be unprecedented. Fox bought the script on the condition that more non-bus action be added. So DeBont came up with the elevator sequence based on his own experience being trapped in an elevator. With a lion? <laughs> while filming Die Hard, uh, okay. though. Which, like, why isn't there a movie about... Right? The filming someone of Someone being hard? taken hostage while filming Die Hard. <laughs> so meta. After his stint on Hey Dude, Yost was a staff writer on Full House. 
god. And Good he Lord. hated every minute of it. He used to sit there waiting for a phone call that would tell him Speed sold and he could get the hell out of there. But he ended up quitting Full House before Speed sold. And then it was sold. <laughs> wow. Joss Whedon was brought on for rewrites and wrote 98.9% of the dialogue. According Point to nine. Yost. That's what he says. Stephen Baldwin was the first choice to play Jack Traven. He found it too similar to Die Hard and declined. Poor Stephen Baldwin. Die Hard on a bus. That's how, that's how it was Come pitched. on, Stephen Baldwin. Like, really? Really. Keanu Reeves was on a bit of a hot streak after Point Break, My Own Private Idaho, and Bram Stoker's Dracula. A lot of people were not initially sold on him as a leading man in this action movie since he was best known from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But when he showed up for a meeting on a motorcycle with a cool haircut, everyone (laughs) changed their mind. That's all it took. Didn't even open his mouth. This is after Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yes. We'll get to our thoughts on his performance, but this felt like his first movie ever. (laughs) I think most of his movies kind of feel that way. I mean, (laughs) we'll get on, we'll get to Keanu in general. Wow. Jan DeBont made Keanu cut his luscious locks to be less Bill and Ted-like. I don't know if he's Bill or Ted. I haven't really seen that movie. Okay. You haven't seen that movie? Mm, No. I've seen, like, scenes. What? Future episodes. Future episodes, for sure. They're filming the sequel right now. Uh, The studio freaked out when they saw him cut his hair and threatened to delay production. (laughs) Wait, who wanted his hair cut? Jan DeBont. Okay, and the studio was mad. Okay. How did Keanu feel about all this? (laughs) He was like, whoa. (laughs) Accurate. (laughs) Annie, the female lead, was originally a black ambulance driver and then became a driver's ed instructor before she became an average citizen. (laughs) Part was originally offered to Halle Berry and Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen. Whoa. Whoa. That would be so different. Mr. Bus would have been Mr. Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot picture Ellen. No. Who was the other person? Halle Berry. I can picture that. Yeah, for sure. Easily. Easily. There is a movie role out there that they pitch to Halle Berry and Ellen. <laughs> and Monsters right? Ball. <laughs> Monsters Bus. <laughs> what, what were the casting people? Th- Obviously, they did not narrow this part down. Like, they're like, well, Ellen might do it. And also Halle Berry. I hear Jonathan Lipnicki is for it. Feels like, it feels like the Alpha and Omega. Who <laughs> were like, Halle Berry's the Alpha, Ellen is the Omega. Is Robert De Niro? For I mean, I can't, no knock on Ellen, but it just, it would have been an awful movie. Like It would have been a completely different movie. It would have been like a, a campy comedy. Not that like the role requires that much like gravitas, but like, <laughs> I just can't imagine her like being a real person. <laughs> no, she's just a one-liner. Like she's I a would, comedian. Yeah. I am just imagining her doing her stand-up act yeah. <laughs> on the bus. And she takes the intercom and just like talks to everybody like, on the bus. Gay. <laughs> I can't believe how fast buses go as it is. <laughs> That you're <laughs> Yeah, that is. That is. That's I'm not even going to attempt it. It's pretty good. The part eventually went to Sandra Bullock, who was coming off of NBC's Working Girl, where she played the Melanie Griffith. Oh, wow. Role. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah, there was a show, apparently. There's it, a whole Melanie Griffith thing in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> who knew? And she was coming off of 1993's Demolition Man. When did The Net come out? 95. Okay. So it was after Speed. We're going to have to have an episode about The Net. There are so many things. Of The Net. <laughs> I oh my too. goodness. Oh my Chris, goodness. The strange noises that emanated from you are proof that we have to do an episode about the net. Oh yeah. Only if we talk about our experiences on Prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> Was she yet America's sweetheart? 
oh no, this was the role that like she broke out with. Okay, that's yeah. So it's basically like this role that not this was a sweetheart role, but basically gave her the roles that she then became the sweetheart. Right. Yeah. Like a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. The sweetheart. (laughs) She became the sweetheart. sweetheart (laughs) (laughs) So did you guys see Speed when you were young? No. I think it maybe was on at camp, you know, and I just didn't pay attention to it. Very few things looked familiar, but I couldn't, yeah. Wait, did you ever see the movie before? No. Wow, really? But like, I I just, maybe it was on TV somewhere in the background, so some things looked familiar, but no, I've never watched it. So what did you know about Speed? Like, you knew the premise, Sandra Bullock, the premise, Keanu Reeves, there's some romance there, she's driving, pop quiz hotshot, because I think The Simpsons uh, also parodied that. What do you do? What do you do? Uh, and then there's an elevator at some point. That's it. <laughs> I did not watch it. I literally have not once seen Speed before preparing for this podcast. I think my friends enjoyed it at the time. You know, like, I feel like my, like, elementary school friends enjoyed it. I feel like my, like, group of friends during high school, were like, it, that was a different group of people. Like, they enjoyed it, too. But... It was never one of those movies that, like, my my friend group were revisiting as I got older. It never seemed to be a movie that, like, stayed around and had a lot of, like, continued relevance. Yeah, I mean, I've loved a ton of Sandra Bullock movies. Hmm. I consider this my gateway into rated R movies. I believe it was the first rated R movie that I was officially allowed to watch. Wow. I had seen a couple of things, like, here and there, like... Wait, so you watched it in the theater? Not in the theater. Okay. No. Uh, it was when it was on video, but I remember, like, seeing it in, in the video store section, you know, it was, like, a big hit, so there were a ton of copies, and I was always like, oh, I want to see that, but it's rated R, but it, like, somehow, even from afar, I feel like I detected that it wasn't a serious rated R movie, like... Aside from, like, they say fuck sometimes. Yeah, I was about to say, why is this rated R? Yeah, there's not, it's not very violent. It's, there's no sex or anything like that. So it's definitely, like, feels like a PG-13 movie. Like, yeah. It, it didn't really need to be rated R. And so at some point, my parents were just like, yeah, you can rent that, whatever. And it was just, like, this, like, opening of the floodgates. It's like, now I can rent rated R movies. I was very excited. And you're like, I'll also take Showgirls, and I'll also take, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Sallow... <laughs> As you guys might have noticed, I love a 90s action thriller. But do you still love a 90s action thriller? I still do, to varying degrees. But yeah, I think this was probably my gateway into a lot of those movies, too. Because this was... I probably saw it in, like, 95, maybe even 96. It definitely, like, bridges the gap between my Lion King years and, and, (laughs) you know, when I was into that kind of stuff and, like... I finally, like, kind of got into, like, you know, not, like, super heavy or, like, like the content wasn't super adult, but just, like, movies for adults. Like, I, I think this was in some ways, like, my first, like, adult movie.
Speed was released on June 10th, 1994. The budget was $30 million. The domestic gross was $121 million, and worldwide it made $350 million. It was very well-reviewed. It has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, 78 on Metacritic. It had three Oscar nominations. Wow. What? Editing, sound, and sound editing, which it won, the, the last of those three. It opened opposite City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold. In a summer that saw True Lies, The Flintstones, The Mask, The Lion King, and Forrest Gump. So, <laughs> Comes the speed. <laughs> yeah. It was the number eight movie of that year. And it is the number three hostage movie. It's number one. <laughs> Air Force One. Oh, never saw that either. Can you guess number two? Hostage. Best picture winner. I am a dance. <laughs> <laughs> you had the right, right syllable. Argo. <laughs> Argo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Peter Travers of Rolling Stone said, if you're looking for action movie heaven, try speed. <laughs> a crackling blend of suspense and fun that gives you the rush of a runaway roller coaster. <laughs> Did he then say in parentheses, get it, get it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter Travers. He's so subtle. One of the less kind reviews came from the Washington Post. No, it is not Rita. It is Deshaun Thompson. He said the plot becomes so overextended as Reeves and Hopper wage their endless public transportation battle, even the hardest dieharders will consider leaping off way before the final stop. This movie was released one week before the O.J. Simpson Bronco chase. Oh dear. Oh my. Wow. Which is weird. And That's I think really it's- interesting. The vehicle we believe with Al Cowlings and, and uh, O.J. Simpson in it and it looks like the emergency flashers are going on that uh, Bronco. That's the first time we've had sort of this view of the vehicle. And uh, it is going westbound again. Uh, it appears the way the sun is hitting the front of the vehicle, although it's a little bit difficult to tell because they have made a transition from one freeway to another. And there you see just a huge number of police cars, CHP, Orange County Sheriff, LAPD, presumably Los Angeles County uh, Police Department as well, as well as LA County Sheriff's cars, all a respectful distance behind, just waiting, hopefully, for this to play itself out peacefully without any further loss of of life or any more damage and destruction. Wait, is that good for this movie, or is it bad, like, because that should have, like, happened before the movie came out as, like, publicity? (laughs) That should have happened. (laughs) They should have planned that out. (laughs) So inconsiderate, that OJ. Which publicist dropped the ball on that one? I just find it crazy because in my mind that makes it seem like these things should be forever linked. And I tried like looking up like speed, OJ, like things together in Google. Um, And it was mostly just like how fast was OJ going? You know, I think it's because the title of speed is so innocuous. It's not specific. So you, yeah, you know what I mean? Him. Like, it's not... Uh, but, like, he even drives, like, like Keanu's car, when he's, like, first driving up to the bus, is even, like, very Bronco-like. I think it's a Jeep, but... And just, like, driving, you know, like, recklessly through L.A., like, it just seems yeah, maybe, crazy that these things weren't, like, linked forever to me. Well, how many weeks after? One week. Okay. Another guess is the O.J. thing was so big that it just, it didn't have to be linked with anything else. Mm-hmm. It just was yeah. its own thing. Fair. Yeah. That, like, blew my mind, kind of. So? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we, we sped. How did you, like, speed? <laughs> oh, this movie's so dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like you still like it. Oh, it's so dumb. I thought it was so dumb. Did you think it was dumb? 
super dumb. <laughs> I was rolling my eyes a lot. I didn't. I didn't enjoy this movie at all. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, where do I start with that? <laughs> we'll just move on to set. <laughs> I could ask you why, but I think there's probably a lot of reasons. <laughs> yes. So. Everything. Okay. Everything that happened. I had similar thoughts. And I've expressed those thoughts to friends of mine who have similar love of bad movies, similar enjoyment of B-movies. I'm not sure what I was looking for visiting this franchise for the first time, not having seen it when I was growing up at all, and also like going into it knowing that I love watching bad movies, that I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching bad movies that are made with commitment. But I did not think this movie was even enjoyable on an ironic level. It is so stupid. It is so stupid. But I don't think that stupidity ends up being funny. I mean, I agree. Like, I love Face Off, and I think Face Off is terrible, but in a batshit bonkers fun way. And this just felt like generic action movie to me. Yes, and... The comparison that came up and that's really stuck with me since, uh, to be honest, I I watched Speed several times to make sure that I enjoyed it as little as I enjoyed it. But, like, the comparison that kept coming up for me was to Rennie Harlan, who is an action movie director who is broad and campy and very stupid, you know, and he's done movies like The Long Kiss Goodnight and Deep Blue Sea and The Covenant, (laughs) which are kind of different stages of terrible in the content and execution, but that operate on like an entertaining enough level of dumb where I really get into it and I enjoy watching it. With Speed, it was surprising to me how badly it played on every level. I genuinely enjoy Sandra Bullock. I think she deserves the moniker of America's Sweetheart. But in this movie, I didn't know, like, what the stakes were supposed to be with our character. Like, I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what she was looking for. I love Dennis Hopper so much as an actor, as a persona in a whole bunch of movies, you know, where he's playing very different characters, but ultimately he's playing Dennis Hopper. But in this, I felt like he was phoning it in on every level. And I also thought it was maybe the worst Keanu Reeves performance I've ever seen in my life. It's saying something. Which is saying something. It was very surprising. Maybe I went in wanting too much from Speed. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I went in wanting something that was knowingly campy, that was... I don't know where it went wrong. I don't know if there's, like, one fatal flaw I can point to in the writing or casting or any of that. But I really wanted Speed to be hilarious, and I found it very boring and a very tough watch. That's weird. (laughs) Why did you go in expecting it to be, like... Because it's it's a well-respected movie. It got good reviews. People still enjoy it. I mean, no one has ever really claimed it as, like, high art. Like, it's definitely not that. But it's, like, considered to be a pretty good, like, action movie. Like, it's probably one of the... if Like, if you say action movies from the 90s, like, it's probably one of the top five that people will mention as, like, being a good one. So why did you go in expecting it to be, like, so bad it's good? 
If anything, I think hearing how well-respected it was makes it even more jarring for me because it's kind of more surprising going in knowing that it's well-respected as an action movie and seeing how incredibly stupid it is at every single level, like both in terms of the characters, in terms of the setup, there are really no stakes to the whole movie. Even just to get specific about one aspect of it, the bomb in this movie is the bus itself. If the bus goes below 50 miles an hour, it's going to explode. But the bus does not go 50 miles an hour until Keanu Reeves' detective character road rages and is driving on the freeway belligerently alongside this bus to warn it about the fact that it's going to blow up if it goes below this speed. The bus driver does not go that speed until Keanu Reeves, the police officer who's supposedly going to prevent this thing from blowing up, is driving alongside it like a fucking crazy person. He's the ultimate storytelling reason why this bus is going to blow up, but that's never addressed. None of the stakes of this movie have anything to do with the characters, have anything to do with something the characters want, or something the characters need. Two years I spent setting up that elevator job. Two years I invested myself in it. You couldn't understand the kind of commitment that I have. You were in a man's life's work, and you think you can walk away. You got blinders on to the world. But I got your attention now, didn't I, Jack? Why didn't you just come after me? No, this is about me. This is about my money. This is about money due me, which I will collect. million dollars. It's my nest egg, Jack. At my age, you gotta think ahead. When I find you... Pop quiz, hotshot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do? I'd want to know what bus it was. You think I'm gonna tell you that? Yes. Uh, Very good. Before you keep going on, I want to hear what you thought. (laughs) I still enjoy this movie. I mean, I've always enjoyed this movie. This has been a movie that since I watched it, like on, rented it on video, like I bought it like soon afterwards. So it was a movie that I put on often. Like I know this movie like inside and out. Like I, I probably watched it like once a month or something for a while. You know, you own like a few amount of movies and now I own a lot of them. But... Yeah, not you. <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> but at the time I owned, I don't know, like a few, especially like this was probably the first rated R movie I bought on VHS. So it was a movie I would go to a lot and I have seen it recently. So it wasn't really like there was anything to go back to that I was surprised by. I mean, I will say that this is probably the movie with the least character development that I actually like. (laughs) Uh, Like, there's really no story here in terms of characters. I can definitely give it that. Like, there's nothing to, like, chew on thematically, really. Like, it's not about anything. It's about the plot, and that's it. Like, there's not really, like, nobody represents anything. Like, it's not saying really interesting things about society or whatever. So do you like it because you find it charming? I mean, I find it enjoyable. Like, it's... Like, what makes you want to keep watching what happens if there's, if the characters aren't driving the, like... But the characters are driving. (laughs) That's all they're doing. How do I always find these puns? (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I'm just like entertained by the plot. Like, it, I buy into it. I'm like, like you. It's just a suspension How? of disbelief. This is, this is my How? problem with Dennis Hopper. He wants his money, and the reason he Why? doesn't have his money is because Keanu Reeves messed up his first. messed up his first plot with an elevator. Yeah. So he's blaming specifically this officer, <laughs> this police officer. Mm-hmm. And he says, if you don't give me my money by 11 a.m. tomorrow, I'm going to blow up a bus. Also, if the bus goes below 50 miles per hour, I'm going to blow up a bus. That is convoluted. Like, but which one is want, it? Why does he want his money? Why what does he, he want blaming, the money for? Why is he blaming just Keanu Reeves? Look, <laughs> like, I love Dennis Hopper in a way I cannot express in words. Dennis Hopper had some of the most transcendental performances in any movies that have ever been made, like Apocalypse Now, Blue Velvet. There are so many Dennis Hopper performances I've loved. And again, I went into this movie ready for one of the best Dennis Hopper performances I would ever see. And in this movie, I was just left, like, wondering, was this before rehab? Was this after rehab? (laughs) During. This was rehab for him. This was during. (laughs) It was tough. This may have been during. I didn't know what his grounding in this world was at all. I didn't know what the stakes were. I didn't know what this character wanted. And even by the stakes of normal Dennis Hopper craziness, which were beyond normal, like... Well, he used to be a police officer, um, which mirrors Keanu, who's a police officer, and like he was, um, he didn't get his pension. Is that it? So he's stealing money. <laughs> yeah, he got injured on the job. Like his okay. hand was injured, and he got just like basically like a pension and a cheap gold watch. That's right, the cheap gold watch. And so then he puts that on the bomb, which is like he wants basically what he feels like he was owed by being like kind of like dumped by the police. I'm not like saying it's like the most fascinating parallel in a movie, but like to me that logic works out enough is that he feels like he was slighted by the police and now he's, you know, kind of going up against this one officer and there's, you know, there's problem. Why are they just not bomb experts? The police don't deal with bombs. Right. They don't deal with bombs. They call it. He's a SWAT team. He's on the SWAT team. They don't deal. They they call them bomb experts. They're just police officers. Isn't Keanu Reeves just a police officer? I think he's on the SWAT team. That's who's called in for the elevator thing. I thought he was just a police officer. So they both were SWAT? Yes. But also do SWAT deal with bombs? No, but they didn't know that there was a bomb on the elevator. So that's why they were there. But Dennis Hopper knows how to work bombs. Yes. And apparently so does Keanu Reeves. It's like, why don't they just become bomb experts? Jeff Daniels knows. <laughs> Keanu Reeves doesn't know anything about bombs. That's but why then, he has to be on the phone with Jeff Daniels. I think, I mean, obviously I've got okay, a little lost like, with the plot here. I, I feel <laughs> like there's so many things about this movie that are like meant to be specific, but all the, like all the specific parts were cut out after the first cut or whatever. The elevator sequence that opens the movie, I do think that is pretty well done. That was very suspenseful, but it's also like they're at a business office, like doing a business <laughs> in the elevator falls. <laughs> like I it's told you, like, I remember there was an elevator, but but like my note in the beginning was this isn't a bus. <laughs> Very Where's perceptive. The bus? Also, I wrote the opening credits are boring. They're boring. They last forever. You're just seeing a shaft. Uh, no comment. <laughs> the pop quiz hot shot line is 
also really dumb. Doesn't it's he say it so like twice? Dumb. Yes. He says it many times. Okay, before we just shit on this movie, like, so why do you like this movie? I just find it entertaining. And like, you still do after all these years? Like, you still are as entertained? I am entertained, yes. I don't find it profound. Like, yeah, the plot is a little silly. I don't, I don't find it quite as problematic as you guys do. Because I guess I'm used to it. But yeah, I mean, it, it's implausible. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of movies are implausible. So I don't I don't find that this movie is worse than most action movies in, in that way. Like, How would this Keanu know that that bomb is on that particular bus? I, he tells him the name of, or the number of the bus. And he just happens to be right there. No, he like tracks it down. That I felt like this wasn't a real bus in LA because it wasn't filled with crazy people. <laughs> that too! <laughs> it was filled too? with crazy people. It was fil- it a guy filled. with a gun who like holds everyone hostage for a second. A kind of crazy old lady who decides to jump off at some point. I guess that's not crazy enough for me. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. First time in LA. <laughs> Oh, no, I live here. No, I mean mine. Oh, that's just funny. You heard me wrong. No, I'm sightseeing. Oh, really? Yeah. I hate to use the word tourist, but it's not like I can hide it. Not really. (laughs) Oh, jeez. You know, it took me three hours just to get here from the airport. I got so lost. L.A. is one large place. Of course, you live here, you probably don't notice. I'm such a yokel. Jeez. There, I said it. <laughs> you know what? I, I got gum on my seat. Gum. I found this to be a really realistic, like, group, <laughs> group Have of people. Have you ever been on public transportation? Yes, and it, like, it has a lot of, <laughs> it just has, like, a bunch of, like, different people who all felt like they would actually be taking a bus, like... People in LA don't talk to each other on public transportation. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> what did you mean? I do not agree. Like, I, I know. I'm shitting on even just the premise. I'm just like, I guess it was just like everything added. I was like, this does not feel like real people traveling, it you know, to not work on a feel, bus. It did not feel like real people at any point. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think it's, it's not a documentary. Like, it's, it's a, like... But, like, no, nothing about it felt real, so I had nothing, no one to care about. Like, I didn't care about anybody because no one felt real to me, whether that was Keanu or Sandra Bullock or, like, I just, like, didn't care about anybody, so I didn't care what happened to anybody. Mm-hmm. It was just a little too generic for me. Like, there, there wasn't enough personality. I didn't think it would be bad, like, face-off, but, like... Face Off has so much personality. It's busting out of the seams with craziness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I really enjoy watching that movie. And I felt like this was just kind of flat. There's maybe like two lines of dialogue that I thought was interesting. I think they're both Dennis Hopper. So everything was just kind of bland. There's nothing for me to be like, wow, that sequence or that awesome character. Like everything was just kind of bland. So it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It was just kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that. Like, I don't think that the movie tries to do much more than it does. So if you don't like sort of a an action movie, like, that's just an action movie, I mean, I guess. But I don't want just an action movie. Like, Die Hard has something to it. Like, I care about the people. The villains are interesting and well-written and smart. And you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want just an action movie. I want... I want something more than that. So this that's why this just felt generic to me. Yeah, and I think, like, I was trying to think of Die Hard in comparison to this. 
And I do find Die Hard has just a, a little more to it. Like, there's a bit more of a story. Like, there's a backstory with Bruce Willis's character and his wife that gives it some kind of stakes there, where there isn't really that much of a personal thing here. There's some romance with Sandra Bullock and then, like, his friend Jeff Daniels. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of a personal stakes relationship. But I agree. Like, I was a bit surprised watching it this time, like, how little there was. And for me, it works well enough because I, I find it actually, like, very spare. And it's everything is, like, action, basically. And, and plot. Like, there's no, like... It's all plot. Yeah. It's all plot. Which I don't like. I want there to be fun little moments. Like, yeah. I keep comparing to Die Hard, but, like, in Die Hard, he's sitting in the limo in front, you know? Or he's yeah. or he's has a moment alone where he's, like, making fists with his toes. Like, there just felt like there was no character moments like that with Keanu or Sandra Bullock. Like... Especially not with Sandra Bullock. Like, she's been in many silly action movies, too. But in this, I feel like she's given almost nothing to just define her as a character at all. I don't know why she's good at driving. (laughs) I don't know why she's, like, so daring as a driver. Like, any of that. And I don't get why she connects with Keanu. I don't get any sense of her as a person. I just couldn't handle the freeways anymore. I got so tense. This way I can just relax all the way to work. Yeah, well... I love my car. I miss my car. Yeah, I mean, it's a fairly thin character. I mean, they all are. You don't you don't yeah. learn what their private lives yeah. are like at all. None of the characters in this movie. Jeff Daniels, like, kind of ironically, you get the most sense of, like, who he might be, like, at home. And even then. <laughs> and even then. <laughs> But I, I, I really find, like, the dialogue engaging, like, on the bus. Like, I just think, like, the side characters are funny. Like, there's a lot of good one-liners. And just, like, the, I find the action, like, well shot. And it just... Yeah, see, I don't. I, I don't either. I don't. I don't either. There, I wish I remembered it a little better, but I wrote a note that was... The bomb kind of went off when that lady tried to get off. But the filmmaking was not clear, so you don't really know what happened. Like, you couldn't really, like exactly tell like i just felt it was kind of like muddy like i could tell this was his first time directing because he did twister i love twister so in my eyes he got much better but there i just felt like a lot of it was just unclear or kind of cheesy with especially the bus jumping over the the hole in the freeway (laughs) why are they even why did they take the freeway that why is that even (laughs) a possibility that you could take that part of a freeway that isn't built yet. No, like. but I, I think we should touch on that sequence with the woman who gets her hand blown off. She's a character actress. Like, she's in a lot of... Beth oh, so Grant. Di- Beth Grant. Yeah, Beth Grant. Donnie Darko, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Okay, yeah. And and also in... Um, she's everything. in Rain Man. She's been in a couple of things Let's that we see... Can we talk about another scene? Let's talk about the scene where the butt... Where physics would not allow a bus... <laughs> To to make a jump because it's completely flat. The freeway. It's, it's not. It's not an incline. No. No. <laughs> no. It's not. <laughs> and it and it somehow jumps and it's but there's no incline. But it goes up in the air. Find that scene. <laughs> like it's, Again, it's not. But that's so stupid. This is why I'm saying it's dumb. It's dumb. So what is the difference between like speed and twister to you? Twister is well thought out, and everything that happens in Twister, I care about the characters, 
and Twister and their relationships. I believe them who they say they are. Um, I, the, the physics, I mean, I don't know for real about things with Twisters and stuff, but the physics seems real. You know, I, that that's right. I'm looking at that. I'm just like, that looks so stupid. Like, what do yes. you like? I mean, I'm also because I'm from L.A. The, the ending is so stupid where they're building a new line that will go like above ground subway stop, even though there's a subway stop right there at Hollywood Island underground. They're like, just building a new one that will go above ground plausible. in the middle of the street. It's plausible. <laughs> like plausibility is is huge. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, isn't that funny? I mean, it's so, like, movie-ish. It's like, we're building a subway stop in the middle of Hollywood Boulevard. Like, the literal street. It's uh, so stupid. Uh, I mean, I think... The, the... <laughs> I'm not gonna, like, re- like, defend, like... I think you're, like, I don't know, confused by things. What do you mean? The track isn't... Like, they're not, it's not the stop, it's that they're, like, the track isn't finished, so they're going to continue building the track, but it's not done yet. Above ground. It's not above ground. It is above ground. No, they, they crash out of... Yeah, the tracks go up into above ground, in the middle of the street. But that's only because it's not finished, like, he ramps it up out there. Where is it going to finish? They're building it more. Below ground. Yes. Jack, please! Mr. Jack, come on, you gotta get off this train. This is crazy. There's a curb ahead. I'm gonna speed it up. Make it jump the track. This is really stupid. Jack, Jack, please, you can still jump. Jack, please, please, Jack. Okay, we just rewatched the scene, and I think that it's confusing. It looks like they're building a thing up ground, like the filmmaking isn't great. Like, it's confusing, because I see what you see now, but when I was watching it, I was like, why is this train track going to be in the middle of the street, above ground? Like, it's not clear. And I think, I don't think we've ever had this much trouble in another movie, like, being like, no, this happens, or that happens. Like, because I think the filmmaking isn't very clear. Um, So that's a criticism. Like, I just think, I think he got better. But I think this is very amateurish where it's not completely clear what's what's happening. Okay. I never had any trouble with it. Like, <laughs> but you've also seen it a thousand times. Or I don't yeah. know how many times, but like I've never seen it before. And, mm. you know, yeah. I, I was watching it. Also, I love a lot of people died in this movie. And at the end, they're like, oh, one-liners. <laughs> I'm just like, what about all those people that just died? <laughs> That's like so many movies, though. Yeah, but it's also this one. Yeah. It's a, it's a problem I have in other movies. Yeah. Just because other movies do things, it doesn't make it okay. Right. <laughs> but I mean, Twister does that, too. Like, No, I feel like there's more gravity. You feel you for... Care. Um, what's her you face? You give a shit Aunt. about no, everyone I mean, who so one dies. after people die. But just like the general like vibe and tone yeah. doesn't feel... Like, what is the song? Like, speed? <laughs> like, what is the song at the end? <laughs> It has speed in it. I don't know. It's like a rockin', like, yeah, wasn't that a fun ride? (laughs) Like, I'm just like, people literally just died in this scene before. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I just, it's just dumb. (laughs) I love plenty of dumb action movies, you know, where everything depends on the big action sequence, where everything depends on 
the fun explosion. Like, I love bad boys, Rennie Harlan movies that are just total B movies, top to bottom, where everything is just about the stupid action sequence and like how much blows up and how cool the explosion is. But in this movie, I don't think that's well done enough to like justify. Like, I think Temple of Doom is dumb, too, but the action scenes are well-directed, which elevates it. And I don't feel like they're especially well-directed in this, so it doesn't lift the dumbness (laughs) up, I guess. I don't know. I just like the spectacle of, like, seeing a bus, like, crash through LA traffic. Like, to me, that's really fun. Like, Mm -hmm. I definitely agree that, like, the plot is preposterous uh (laughs) implausible a lot of things like there's a lot of like things that wouldn't really happen in real life like yeah like the bus like jumping over a freeway probably wouldn't end like that like uh the fact that like two things in the movie are like suddenly unfinished oh yeah i was like what is anything finished in los angeles (laughs) but no because every day i'm like driving through construction and i'm like why aren't they ever just fucking done with this so i think it's accurate uh (laughs) But that's that's an insider beef. <laughs> I enjoy the spectacle of it. And, like, to me, the movie is, like, constantly, like, moving. Like, obviously, literally. But I don't know. For me, there's not, like, a dull moment. And maybe I would feel differently. Like, I could I could definitely see that I might feel differently if I just watched this movie today for the first time. Even though I tend to, like these kinds of, like, 90s, somewhat brainless, like, action movies. But yeah, I mean, I think just the fact that I've seen this movie so many times, like, builds the characters in my mind, even though I recognize that there's not, like, a lot on the page for them. It's just, like, to me, like, they're my old friends, like... Yeah, I just met them, and I don't like them. Yeah. (laughs) I don't Um, like your friends. Well, (laughs) a lot of people like them, so fuck you. (laughs) You still don't get it, do you, Jack? Huh? The beauty of it. A bomb is made to explode. That's its meaning, its purpose. Your life is empty because you spend it trying to stop the bomb from becoming. And for who? For what? Do you know what a bomb is, Jack, that doesn't explode? It is a cheap gold watch, buddy. You're crazy. You're fucking crazy. Oh, no. Poor people are crazy, Jack. I'm eccentric. Get the money. Let's go. Come on! Let's go! Move it! Move it! So Keanu Reeves is like a bad actor, right? (laughs) In this. In this, he's terrible. Can you admit that? Can you admit that? I think he's perfectly cast and terrible, if that makes sense. It didn't seem like he had ever done line readings before. It didn't seem like he had acted before. He was pretty wooden. I am not going to spend my time on this podcast defending Keanu Reeves as an actor. Um, No, I mean, to wrap up speed, I'll I'll just say, like, fair point. If you, like, this is a movie that I enjoy on a visceral level. I find the script, like, fun and, like, the one-liners fun. But, like, on a writing level in terms of story... Yeah, there's not that much there. I like the direction, but I don't think it's, like, you know, masterful. None of the perform Like, Sandra Bullock is very winning in it and does what she can. You are so kind to these movies, and you were so mean to Gremlins and Roger Rabbit. Oh, my God. (laughs) All the old Gremlins. I just find it... I think that you just love these movies. And you just love Gremlins. But I think they're good. (laughs) 
Exactly. And it's not. It's terrible. It's fucking awful. It's garbage nonsense. And we are all blinded by what we thought when we were 10 or 12 or whatever. Like, that's the interesting thing about this podcast is that, like... I thought we hate each other now. (laughs) No, we all have these, like, terrible blind spots where it's like... To us, it's good, and then we like get together with two other people, and they're like, um, "No, your favorite is garbage," and we're like, um, "No, it's good, but um, secretly, I kind of am seeing what you're saying." <laughs> Watching this movie again, like in a critical way, like I just was like, "Yeah, fair." Like anyone who doesn't like it, fair. There's nothing really to like convince you like oh but you you clearly didn't see the like subtext <laughs> you know it's like if you don't like busco and smash <laughs> it's not the movie for you <laughs> so that will bring us to uh, speed 2 cruise control Hello. Mr. Kenter oh, oh you're back again yeah yeah I wanted to make up for Sorry, Mr. Kent, but that bus was going way too fast. So Speed was a big box office hit and also like a very like big, I think, pop culture phenomenon. Like everyone knows the plot to Speed, even if they haven't seen it. And it made Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock bankable movie stars. And Dennis Hopper was fine too, but he'd already done that. So Speed 2 was greenlit after Speed's opening weekend without an idea. Of course. Graham Yost came up with the idea of a plane flying through the Andes Mountains that couldn't go above 10,000 feet altitude. What? (laughs) Yeah. And also that's not speed, that's altitude. But he was not hired to write that movie. Yeah. So the honors went to Jeff Nathanson and Randall McCormick. The genesis of Speed 2 was a nightmare. (laughs) That Jan de Bont had. <laughs> it really was. Jan de Bont kept dreaming about a cruise ship <laughs> crashing into an island, so that's what they went with. Keanu Reeves declined <laughs> the sequel. He-, <laughs> he turned down twelve million so he could tour with his band Dog Star. I'd say that was a good plan. <laughs> and The Devil's Advocate. That was like a decent movie for him. Uh, was it? I think it was. It was with Al Pacino, right? Yeah. Yeah. Charlize Theron? Yeah, I'd say that was a good call. (laughs) I think anyone who, yeah, passed on Speed 2 probably did themselves a favor, including Matthew McConaughey, Mm. (laughs) who Sandra Bullock wanted because they uh, had done A Time to Kill together. He was not interested. So they settled on Jason Patrick off the strength of his performance in Sleepers. Willem Dafoe was cast as the Madman Geiger. And Sandra Bullock reprised her role as Annie in exchange for something like $12 million and a green light for her passion project, Hope Floats. I saw that movie in the theater. Ah, So did I. Does it hold up? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think I'll see it again. Between Speeds, Bullock starred in While You Were Sleeping, The Net, Two If By Sea, A Time to Kill, and In Love and War. Oh, shit. So by the time this movie came out, which is only like three years later, but she was like a much, much bigger star. She was uh, America's sweetheart, as we've said. Many scenes were filmed on a real cruise ship which was also called the Seaborn Legend, as the ship is in the movie. It was rented for $38,000 per day for six oh. weeks. Holy shit. 
Wow. The filming of the climactic sequence set a record as the most expensive stunt ever filmed when the ship is crashing into an island. It was about a quarter of the film's budget. A 35-building fake town was created on St. Martin, which was chosen because of its lack of hurricanes. And then a hurricane destroyed the set. (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) And it had to be rebuilt with hurricane-proof buildings. It's a good thing that movie had insurance. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, unlike Roar. (laughs) It was still only the second most disastrous movie Yondabon ever filmed. He's like, well, at least I didn't get mauled. (laughs) The cruise ship did not eat his scalp. The stars performed their own stunts, and both were nearly killed. Uh, Patrick in a motorcycle stunt in the beginning of the movie, and Bullock by decapitation. (laughs) What? Somebody has to be on set with Yondabon. And be like, no. <laughs> yeah. Don't have the actors do their own stunts. Yonda don't. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I didn't think about that one for a second. No. A stunt woman was also seriously injured and required reconstructive surgery on her face. Oh, oh my God. At the time, it was the most expensive movie ever centered on a female. <laughs> so we've got oh, that. Oh, God. Centered. Even so though it's a two-hander, really. Yeah. Well, she was like top build because she was the bigger star. So. All right. Speed 2 Cruise Control was released June 13th, 1997, with a budget somewhere between $110 and $160 million. Its domestic gross was $48 million. Worldwide, it made $164 million. On Metacritic, it has a 23. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 4%. 4. 4%, yes. 4? Yes. That many. (laughs) It opened at number 1, just above Con Air. Yeah, so not not great reviews, mostly. <laughs> Barbara Schulgasser of the San Francisco Examiner said, This is my idea of a nightmare. Or maybe the better metaphor is to call it a bombastic, badly written symphony that builds to a crescendo and then builds to another crescendo and then builds to another crescendo. This movie never gives us that satisfying climax we all crave. And I can tell you right now that I would not like to have sex with Mr. DeBont. What? What? She just <laughs> threw that in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a crazy ex at all. (laughs) Barbara DeBont said. (laughs) Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up. Ebert said, Movies like this embrace goofiness with an almost sensual pleasure, and so on a warm summer evening do I. What? The movie had eight Razzie nominations, winning Worst Sequel or Remake, beating Batman and Robin. Whoa, that's some stiff competition. Did you see Speed 2? <laughs> Did you see Batman and Robin? No, that's my question for like oh. the next section. Of- <laughs> no, I think Batman and Robin should have won that. Yeah. Like- so we watched this movie together. I've never seen it before in my life. And yet I thought the whole thing took place on a speedboat. <laughs> I had no idea that it took place on a cruise ship. Because a cruise ship. ship doesn't go very fast. No! I thought it was all on a speed. I thought it was like whoosh, 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 like two speedboats, which I think is the climax, right? Or mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was going to be the entire movie, so I was very caught off guard. Would you have preferred it on speedboats? Mm, who's to know? <laughs> <laughs> so you had never seen it. Seth, had you ever seen Speed No! <laughs> <laughs> I saw no speeds before this. I went into it knowing that Speed 2 was universally known as, like, a very silly sequel. But even at that, it wasn't enjoyable. Like, I love Willem Dafoe. I thought he was underutilized. (laughs) 
more fun to watch than speed was it yeah there are parts that were definitely like this is boring or stupid but there are parts that were like con air face offy mm-hmm. i don't think any of it was good but there are some parts that were so bad it's good just not the whole thing yeah so the premise of this movie is that basically jason patrick is wearing keanu reeves's face <laughs> or <laughs> vice versa <laughs> Because they basically, like, barely acknowledge the fact that he is not Keanu Reeves. He's supposed to be Keanu Reeves, except they're like, now I'm dating this other guy who's the same thing that my ex-boyfriend was. Yeah. You can definitely tell that Keanu Reeves bowed out at the last second, and they were like, uh, we don't really want to change the script, so let's just add in a line here about how you're not Keanu Reeves, and let's move along. Yeah, the script is not this film's strength. <laughs> Is there a strength at all that this movie has? I love the ending of this movie. With the boat? Once the... Once... <laughs> the whole thing has a boat. <laughs> yeah, the part with the boat. Same with Titanic, is I really love that boat sequence. Uh, no, once the cruise ship is, like, going toward an oil tanker, and then misses an oil tanker, but then is headed straight for an <laughs> island, and crashes through most of that island, I am on board. <laughs> You're on board. <laughs> All aboard. <laughs> I think I like this movie more than Speed. In a, like, I enjoy it more than Speed. You made us watch it. So. <laughs> I did. You really made us and watch it. M- the main reason I wanted to do this podcast was maybe for Speed 2. <laughs> Truth revealed. To me, like, the difference between these movies isn't that big. <laughs> Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Like, I I find them both ridiculous. Um, They have their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, Seth is just a puddle right now. (laughs) Sandra Bullock looks nice in Speed 2. She looks fucking hot in this movie. She she has a much better haircut mm -hmm. in Speed 2. She's, like, really tan. Yeah, she's hot. Yeah. This is a little ridiculous, but I just enjoy the Caribbean of this movie. Like You just got back from the Caribbean. I did, and my experience was much like this movie, but that's a- another story. I love the Speed 2 soundtrack, <laughs> which has a lot of reggae music. I own it. I listen to it today. It is very pleasing to me. Yeah, there's just something about the aesthetic of this movie that I really enjoy, and maybe it's just like, it feels like I'm on vacation. Oh my god. I wouldn't claim this movie is good, but I really enjoy watching it. And there are parts that I think are much weaker than others. There are certain sequences that I don't think work. Like, I feel like the movie is directed a bit badly. (laughs) There's a lot of, like, it feels like there are shots missing. Like, I think you can really sense that this was a very stressful shoot. And as pretty much everyone who has ever shot on water says, like, it's miserable. Like, Titanic was infamously another, like, really, really difficult shoot. And this was the same year as Titanic, so it's kind of crazy to me that, one, Titanic was supposed to come out in the summer, so it was, like, going to be, like, less than a month after this movie. That it's considered one of the worst movies of all time. (laughs) Came out (laughs) 
and is about cruise ships in the same year that one of the most successful movies of all time came out is like, I don't know, it's just like a really funny, Twin like, what was going on with cruise ships this year. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't <laughs> defend it that much, but I, I have a really good time with this movie, and I just, it's like a warm blanket that I put on and crash through an island with. I feel like it's a nice cozy blanket that's suffocating me. <laughs> <laughs> it's cozy. <laughs> The one interesting... (laughs) He's doing air quotes. The interesting nugget I could pull out of these movies, because, like I said, there's not a lot going on, like, subtextually. But the one thing that I could pull out of these movies was this very 90s idea that white men were angry about their jobs. (laughs) Because both of the movies center around these guys who are, like, very disgruntled about their jobs. Like, this one is Willem Dafoe, who... Got cancer from computers at a, at a cruise ship company. I think that that's what they're going for with this movie. And just like that struck me as interesting just because there was this expectation, I guess, in the 90s that like you would have job security. <laughs> and now I feel like no one even would expect like their company to take care of them and they wouldn't like uh-huh. go on this kind of revenge because everyone is like, companies suck. I would say that I feel like. That's been movies for a while. I'm just thinking like Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. just like angry white men, mm-hmm. like exacting revenge or, you know, taking things into their own hands, um, falling down, I think it was in the 80s. Yeah. I feel like that's just been a thing for a while. It is, but I find it interesting that like a lot of action movies like are like terrorists and foreign terrorists. And I mm-hmm. find it interesting that they went with like white guys for, that were like previously like well employed mm-hmm. as their villains. Like that's kind of a different take on like what most action movies do. Yeah, maybe they just didn't want to go the, you know, foreigner or, you know, uh, different nationality route. So if they're like, well, if we do a white guy, what does a white guy have to be upset about? <laughs> like, Yeah, I have to say, like, my main problem with this, <laughs> this movie is just, like, how underused Sandra Bullock is. Like, you can tell it was written to be, like, the Keanu Reeves movie. But once you take out Keanu Reeves, like, it really should have had Sandra Bullock, like, having a much more active role. Like, she's really... Yeah. She's left to kind of, like, flounder, and she has a few sort of one-liners, but, like, she's really giving it her all, and the script is not giving her very much in return. As much as, like, she's, like, the star of this movie, she also barely does anything and is still kind of, like, the damsel in distress, which is disappointing since she's, like, the character that we're carrying Mm -hmm. over from the previous movie, and, like, you'd be like, oh, maybe she, like, learned how to, like, handle, like terrorist situations Mm -hmm. but no i mean she's basically like she could be like this could be her first time like having this happen to her and i I, like i think there is an aspect where the kind of white working men who are the like antagonist and also like the keanu reeves like character in this movie are juxtaposed as the kind of protagonist I feel like Sandra Bullock could have been a more interesting character in both of these movies but she was kind of only allowed to be the woman who's allowing the action to happen, the woman who's helping to drive, but we don't ever get a sense in her character why she is good at driving, why she's good at any of these things. I think a lot of my perspective of it is just the fact that I only saw these movies now, (laughs) but all of the action sequences could have been more effective if she had more of a point of view in any of this. Like, she has no perspective at all but especially not in the second movie. I appreciated the reappearance of Glenn Plummer. Who? 
Who? Glenn Plummer, also known as Toon Man. Oh, wait, is it the guy from Showgirls? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, God. Everybody got AIDS and shit. <laughs> I feel like the last half hour AIDS of this shit. movie does live up to, like, the, like, kind of campy movie that it should be. And unfortunately, like, the beginning of it doesn't. I had a crush on the deaf girl when I was young. What? When you were young. Yes, not anymore. Because that's... Gross. Because it's creepy that yes. she's, like, hitting on an older guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a man with a Scottish accent. <laughs> Do you just have, like, one-liner <laughs> things that, like... <laughs> yes. Honestly, the accent pulled me in. <laughs> Turn off! Almost Oh, it's uh, James McAvoy. It's not James McAvoy. It's James McAvoy. <laughs> I took off my glasses and I drank some more alcohol and it was James McAvoy. <laughs> we don't need to know what happened with your husband last night. <laughs> no, I just have to mention the Scottish guy because the most memorable part of this movie is him like constantly like saying how many knots the boat is going <laughs> as it's slowing down. Somebody's got to say it. Why not say it in a Scottish accent? <laughs> He was hot. I'm not gonna lie. Do you remember when an oil tanker exploded in this movie? I guess. The visual effects team inserted a cow into that explosion that's like flying off in the <laughs> distance as a nod to Twister. Aww. What? There you go. There's a cow in Speed 2 that you didn't notice. Didn't. So ultimately, I recommend both of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> they were robbed of all the Oscars. No, don't watch them. Yeah, I can't really recommend these. Again, it's like, I do enjoy trying to evaluate these things in the context that they existed at the time. I don't know how much of it came from what I expected from it as a B-movie action franchise, but I didn't think they were entertaining like as bad action movies. I think that all of the actors in them went on to much better bad action movie roles after this. Yeah, I can't recommend them. I mean, it it's like if you want to watch an action movie, go for it. <laughs> no, watch Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, Die Hard is a better movie. I think Twister is a better movie. I don't think there are that many other, like, straight-up action movies that are... Like, I think most of them are on par. Like, this is probably on par with, like, a Die Hard 3. So Yeah, we didn't like those either. <laughs> Die Hard 3 was okay. It was okay. Speed's okay. It's It's okay. <laughs> And that's all the cruise control we have time for on this episode of When We Were Young. On our next episode... We're catching up with the bat, the cat, the penguin, and the Joker in Tim Burton's Batman movies, Batman and Batman Returns. Batman. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a glowing review so that more people will listen to the show. I have been Seth Pearson. I'm Becky. And I'm taller. Oh, yeah. <laughs>